Ding, ding. Uh, it felt great. I knew, I knew, um, you know, once it happened, it was going to be, it was going to be a thing. And so I tried not to look at the bench when I was coming back down, but then I kind of peeked over and I saw DeAndre all the way out on the side and I saw, saw everybody standing up. So, um, you know, it's hard not to smile in, in that situation, but, um, you know, felt good to just get that out of the way and, uh, you know, move on. Bruce Brown in for Brooklyn now. Blake Griffin at the five to begin the fourth. Griffin on the move, flushes it down. There's the dunk. The wait is over. How about we can just watch basketball? How about we can just watch basketball? Ding, ding. Good morning and welcome to the Daily Ding. Happy Monday morning, the beginning of the NBA trade deadline week, the middle, the heart of silly season in the middle of the season. I'm Jared Weiss. I'm your host. I am joined on Monday mornings as always by Mo DeKeel. Mo, what is popping? Oh, not a whole lot. Just, just getting ready, man. Getting all the... Listen, everybody, make sure you have the right guys on notifications on Twitter. Do not share any fake trades. I'm telling you now, anybody who shares a fake trade will be getting blocked by me on Twitter. <laughs> I almost I almost got fooled with a fake shops tweet. Yes. Which is funny because I work with the guy and I'm like, I almost got fooled by a fake shops. Uh, but yeah, it's easy to get fooled these days. I'm going to even stop tweeting jokes this week just so that when I tweet something out, it's actually valuable. And uh, I'm amazed I'm still talking because I've been on the phone for about 10 hours today. It has been a crazy week in the NBA, crazy weekend in the NBA. And uh, we're going to get to the games on Sunday, get to some of the big news coming out today. We have to start, though, with the Knicks and Sixers game. That was just such a bizarre, crazy ending. Uh, It ends up with the Sixers winning 101 to 100 in overtime. It honestly felt like nobody won this game. Uh, but, Bo, just take us through kind of that wacky, crazy ending. I mean, this game was drunk. I just We just have to start off with that. It was probably one of the <laughs> ugliest, most sloppiest games I've ever seen. And I thoroughly enjoyed every second of this, Jared. It was a completely crazy game. Down the stretch, it really felt like nobody wanted to win. Uh, Danny Green came up with some big shots. The big thing was up three with a foul to give in regulation, the Sixers do not foul, and Julius Randle hits a crazy three, like step back corner three that bounces off the rim, bounces really high, hits the backboard, and falls back in. That's absurd. The Sixers turn the ball over in the next possession, and Randle has a chance to win it with a runner at the last second. That doesn't go in. We go to overtime. And it just got uglier in overtime, Jared. <laughs> I mean, it was funny. We had the funny thing about that Julius Randle shot was that when the ball got swung to him in the corner, he almost fell backwards out of bounds. And he somehow levitated on his tippy toes, regained his bounds without stepping out of bounds, and then made that nice little jab step into what looked like a pretty strong push off into that uh, step back three in the corner. Uh, but we had Danny Green who I don't think even had a point up until a couple minutes left in the game, hands up with 11 points over the course of crunch time in this game on top of the five steals and three blocks. Yeah, I mean, it was – he. Doc Rivers said it after the game. It felt like he was the only one that came prepared to 
play and, and, and really kind of kept the team going throughout all of this. Everybody else looked out of sorts. And we got to talk about the ending because that's really what got Nick fans all riled up. Up a point with, you know, just a few seconds left, the Sixers miss a shot and there's a foul on Julius Randle is called for a loose ball foul, pushing Tobias Harris. And th- this is where it gets weird. This is where it gets weird, folks. The uh, Knicks call a timeout to challenge the call, but apparently didn't tell anybody they were challenging the call. Like, I'm not fully aware of what happened in that scenario, um, but they assumed they were challenging the call. And the referees were just going about it as if a regular timeout was called. And coming out of the timeout, now it's Tobias Harris shooting two free throws to win the game. Also, mind you, he missed two free throws to probably have iced the game in regulation. So this was a big uh, moment in that sense. The Knicks go completely nuts because that was their last timeout. Harris makes those two free throws, so they're up one. The Knicks have to go the full length of the court. And Julius Randle... Damn near does it. He, he gets almost full length of the court, pulls up for a mid-ranger that just goes in and out. It's crazy to see like a six nine brute power forward like him turning into this like beautiful shrieking gazelle down the down the floor. I mean, he, the stuff that he's doing for this next team is unbelievable. The stuff that they're getting out of the players on this team has been unbelievable. Credit to RJ Barrett. I thought him attacking and dishing the driving kick game that he had going, especially in the fourth quarter was really beautiful. The Knicks were playing some borderline beautiful basketball at times in this game before, but in between some pretty ugly possessions at the end, for sure. It was just, it, it, it was a, it was a fantastically ugly, yet beautiful game tonight. <laughs> the Pelicans beat the Denver Nuggets 113 to 108. The end of this game was very similar to the end of most games for the Pelicans, where it was Brandon Ingram and Zion Williamson scoring over and over and over and over again. Uh, it was Zion standing in the dunker spot right behind the rim, Brandon Ingram at the ball up top, and the defense decides, do we send 10 people at Ingram or do we send 10 people at Zion? And whichever one you decide, it was the wrong answer. Yeah, I mean, pretty much, you know, it's this is kind of the thing when I, I just look at the Nuggets, it's like, these are the games they should be winning. Like you shouldn't be losing to the New Orleans Pelicans. But at the same time, when they're going like this and the Pelicans who've struggled and dropped, you know, big game against the Blazers earlier in the week, blowing a game in complete crunch time after being up 17 at one point, like this was a nice, good feeling win for them at the end of the weekend to just kind of at least feel like, okay, we can win a close game. Yeah. And, you know, to be fair, the Nuggets did get a wide open three for Jamal Murray when they were down four with 13 seconds left, and he just front rimmed that shot. That's a shot that Murray hits, you know, five times out of six, basically. So if that one goes in this game, you know, they really do have a chance to work their way back in and at the very end there. So it was an incredibly competitive game. But I mean, this this two man combination of Zion and Brandon Ingram is looking like one of the most deadly combos at the end of games in the entire league right now. Yeah, I think. I'm not sure if I'm willing to go that far yet. I mean, there's a there's an issue for me with Brandon Ingram in terms of just his efficiency. I mean, 11 to 23 is it's okay, but it's not great. Two for seven from three is is something I'm I'm, I'm a little bit concerned about. But you know, there this is a growing thing for them, and and, and these two guys are going to be the corner pieces of this franchise. So the as long as they're able to kind of find that sort of synergy between the two of them 
and allow this thing to grow, I think that's a good thing for New Orleans. So, you know, they they got to start finding wins in this season right now if they're going to try to make the playoffs and start figuring things out. But at least they know one thing. They got the two corner pieces they want to go with. They both had 30 points. Zion, 9 for 13 from the field, 11 for 14 from the line. Classically unbelievable Zion. Jokic, he had another triple-double, 29-10-10. He went 13 for 19 from the field. That's pretty impressive. Let's get to the news, and there was tons of news on The Athletic. Don't forget to subscribe at theathletic.com slash ding. Uh, Shams Charania dropped his insider pass, and when that comes out, you know there's going to be a lot of juicy nuggets in there. Uh, and I actually happen to be in there as well because we're reporting that uh, the Aaron Gordon trade sweepstakes have gotten pretty, pretty deep now. A ton of suitors there. Houston Rockets engaged in talks with the Magic, uh, but the deal is not imminent at this point. Uh, the Celtics are involved with trade talks. Minnesota, Denver, Portland all remain interested in Gordon. Uh, the guy seems to be the hot, just about the hottest commodity on the trade market. He's having a bit of a tricky season. He's been kind of playing hurt since defense has been looking mediocre. He is shooting over 40% from three in a relatively small sample size. What, I mean, what do you think of the fact that it seems like half the league is pursuing this guy? No, I can understand it because this is one of those guys where you look at him and you go, look, he's 25 years old on a pretty decent contract, pretty well valued for for what he can bring to the table. And it feels like he's kind of just playing out of position in Orlando, has never gotten the right pieces around him. So, you know, in the right scenario, I think he can really do some amazing things. Like, to be honest, if I had to pick and and choose where I wanted to see him go and where I think would be the most fun, I think he'd be great in Portland. You know, just a, a, a athletic short role guy for Portland to continue to play off of Dame and CJ. And when they get Yusuf Nurkic back, I think it would get really interesting in, you know, what, what they can do and what that team can achieve going forward. So if I had to pick where I want him to go and I have no information where he's going to end up, nobody talks to me. I mean, Jared only talks to me when we do the ding. He doesn't call any <laughs> other time, but that's where I kind of would like to see him go just because I think it would be a bit fun. But he still has a lot of value. Again, and it kind of, I forget this from time to time. He's only 25. He doesn't even turn 26 until training camp, basically, next season. It's unbelievable how young he is. And I agree with you. Portland, he would be a great fit on all these teams, but I feel like Portland probably would raise their potential floor for this season's competitiveness probably more than any of these teams. If he were, well, actually, I know that Boston's been so bad this year that he probably would do a ton of help there. But you're right, just the idea of him giving Portland just that slasher that can attack off the dribble, that could really be a menace in transition. He really, really would give them that extra dimension. And he would be able to play the four there, which is where he belongs. And a big thing in just all the reporting that I've been doing, all the sources that I've talked to, it all comes up every time that he's playing out of position. He needs to be playing the four. That's where if any team is acquiring him, they're doing it so they can put him at the four. Moving on to the injury front, where it's very clear that if you've got a French name, you're in trouble right now in the NBA because we had two really devastating injuries to two of the biggest players in the league, frankly. We had LeBron James suffering a high ankle sprain. He is currently out indefinitely. It looked pretty bad, and it's clear he's going to be out for a while. Who knows what a while means at this point. And then LaMelo Ball who was probably the front runner for rookie of the year, although Anthony Edwards has certainly slid pretty high up into that conversation. And Tyrus Halliburton wants a word too. He has suffered a broken hand. He's going to the uh, New York 
hand specialist doctor that everybody always goes to to get a second opinion so that hopefully he isn't out for the year. Hopefully he won't need to have surgery, but not looking good for Charlotte. Let's start with LeBron. Obviously, when LeBron suffers an injury and is out for an extended period of time, it has a pretty major effect on the NBA. The Lakers, they're sitting towards the top of the West standings, but they can fall a little bit here considering that LeBron is out, AD has been out. I mean, this could be a problem for the Lakers. I mean, it definitely could be a problem. Before we get into all this, are you saying these are French names just because they have a L-E and an L-A in front of them? Yeah, that's what makes something French, right? It just, you put la, la, that makes it French. I apologize to any French listeners out there and um, just send all <laughs> complaints to Jared Weiss. I have nothing to do with that. Now back to the news real quickly. It's a big issue for the Lakers in the sense of, it's going to be very difficult for them to win games without their two best players. Shocking news there, right? Any team without their two best players are going to struggle. And I just find it very difficult in that sense. Like we don't even have a timeline for when Anthony Davis may be back. And, you know, this one with LeBron out indefinitely, I think he's going to miss, you know, at least a week or two, just, you know, trying to figure this whole thing out, you know, for the Lakers, the most important thing though is, getting these guys back and healthy and ready for the playoffs. So I'm not too worried, Jared, about seeding for them, but ultimately just making sure these guys are fully 100% healthy when they come back. So it's not going to be fun times for the Lakers fans over the next few weeks watching the guys like Kyle Kuzma and Dennis Schroeder really kind of kick it up. And they might be able to steal a game here and there and do stuff, but it's going to be a difficult run and a difficult watch. So um, it's just it's just tough, man. This is the way it goes. Yeah, and the Lakers, so they are tied for second place with Phoenix right now, two and a half games behind Utah. They are three games ahead of Denver, but that gulf between the or that gulf between the sixth seed where Denver is and the seventh seed where San Antonio is or where the playing tournament starts, that's another game and a half there. So it seems yeah. like unless the Lakers go into a massive free fall, they, it's fairly unlikely that they're going to fall behind the Spurs. But then again, the Spurs do have several games in hand because of cancellation. So maybe uh, if the Spurs continue to win. Uh, no, we're, we're we're just doing shock value now, I think. We're, I, I don't think we're, we need to worry <laughs> right now of the Lakers falling into the playing tournament. And really, just to be honest, I don't think seeding matters to them. Out of every team in the West, that's the one team I'm like, eh, seeding doesn't matter. Every series in the Western Conference is going to be a battle just with how stacked the Western Conference is. So it, it, it doesn't matter too much in that scenario. And really, if those two guys are healthy going into the playoffs, is any team in the West going to scare you? I mean, I'm just scared of the Warriors if they make the playoffs, right? So that's that's all that matters. I, that's, stop it. No, no, they're not. not <laughs> stop it. And Warriors fans, you could send your hate to me. It's fine. Yeah. And I should be clear, as of taping, the Suns are up 98 to 89 on the Lakers. So the Suns would actually technically hold on to second place by themselves if they beat the Lakers in this one. So you know, the numbers might move around a little bit. But the point is, the Lakers are at least have gotten themselves far enough that they can handle the situation. But, you know, you mentioned a, a week or two. I mean, we do know LeBron James is basically Superman, but high ankle sprains tend to be at least three to four weeks a lot of the time. But who knows? You know, every spring is different, of course. And then let's talk about the East and LaMelo. So Charlotte has been really bouncing around that kind of 
five to eight range, obviously the East is completely bunched up from like the fourth seed all the way to the 10th seed. And Charlotte currently is 20 and 21. They're right now in the eighth seed. Losing LaMelo really hurts. He's been their starter for about the last 20 games. They've been just above 500 with him as a starter. They can survive it because they have Devontae Graham, Terry Rozier, Gordon Hayward. They do have other playmakers, but this takes away a lot of that spark and a lot of that creativity that's made them so good. It takes away the fun too, Jared. This was this was the league pass team of the year. You know, it was fun to watch them because of LaMelo. And and so, you know, that's why we go to the regular cliche of just injuries suck, right? And that's it is what it is in that scenario. It also, you know, he was the front runner for rookie of the year. And that's kind of a blow. It'll be interesting to see, you know, if he is out for the season, really how that's gonna how that award's gonna play out if anybody's gonna step up. But in terms of for the Hornets, I'm not very confident in them without LaMelo. And it's not because LaMelo is so important, but Terry Rozier had to leave their Clipper game with the hip contusion. It feels like everybody's kind of banged up. Gordon Hayward's struggling right now. They just started a West Coast road trip where they're 0-3. Like, you know, I think they're going to make the play-in tournament, but I'm just, I, I just think the fun times are over in Charlotte, man. Get to the rest of the big games from Sunday. We had another overtime game. The Pacers beating the Heat 109 to 106. We had seven players from the Pacers with at least 12 points. Bam Adebayo had a big one, 29 points, 10 boards. Jimmy Butler, 21 points, 15 boards, 7 dimes. Jimmy Butler had six offensive rebounds in this game. That was pretty impressive. Uh, But the Pacers were just, they, they shot the ball pretty terribly, but they were very balanced and they were chucking up as many threes as possible. And that was enough to kind of get them over the hump. Yeah. I mean, look, the Pacers are just that feisty, feisty team. And, you know, this is their, they swept their uh, mini series against the Heat this weekend, you know, with this win. And it's guys like TJ McConnell that just kind of drive you nuts, but come up with plays, you know, 12.7 assists, five rebounds. You know, he, he had a, a even bigger game. The, the one before, I think he had like 15 assists and 16 points. But I just think, you know, when you look at this Indiana team, they're, they're just feisty and there's no quit in them. And for the Heat, man, they, 24.3% from three is just not going to get it done for them. This is a team that depends on the three-point shot, you know, so much. And Duncan Robinson going three for 11 from three. Kelly Olenek going one for seven. Tyler, Tyler Hero going 0 for seven from three. That's brutal right there. That right there is how you're going to lose games if you're the Miami Heat. Yeah, and it was funny. Uh, the I think it was the Heat commentator said uh, Duncan Robinson, something when he hit his like first three of the game, something about he could be cool all day, but hot when you need him. I thought that was a really <laughs> brilliant call. But it was Justin Holiday who was really hot when you needed him. He had back-to-back threes to take the lead for Indiana. And then it was amazing to see Karis LeVert hitting the mid-range pull-up to ice the game at 109-106 with 48 seconds left. It was just so much fun to get to see Karis LeVert back in action. Yeah, and the, the real interesting thing in this situ- in this game that I saw was, you know, Nate Bjorgen going with LeVert down the stretch as the go-to guy. You know, in regulation with the game tied, they went with an ISO up top for LeVert. They gave him the ball a bunch in overtime, you know, to create for others and himself. So this might be a thing going forward. You know, maybe they're testing it out and seeing what LeVert can and can't do because they basically, even though the trade happened a while ago, they basically just got him back. 
you, now they're trying to explore what he can and can't do. So it'll be interesting going forward, seeing if like this is going to be their go-to guy for the rest of the season. Let's head over to the OKC Thunder beating the Houston Rockets 114 to 112. That is 20 straight losses for the Houston Rockets. This was obviously a Lou Dort sesh because Eddie Great Knight is a Lou Dort sesh. He had 23 points on the night. Moses Brown, 13 points, 14 boards for OKC. We even had Poku starting in this game. I mean, this it, it's kind of hard to really just go through the box score with OKC. I'm like, how did the NBA team lose on these guys? Especially with Christian Wood, Victor Oladipo, and John Wall all having more than 20 points in this one. I mean, first off, I I just feel so bad for Houston. <laughs> this is their 20th loss in a row. 20 losses in a row. I don't remember when I was with the Clippers how long the streak was. I think we had like a 12-game losing streak my first year with the Clippers or my second year. And let me just tell you, like, nothing makes you want to lay on the floor in a fetal position than a long-ass losing streak like this. And it is brutal. And you can see it wearing on the guys, even the Steven Silas's face when somebody asked him in the post-game press conference, you know, if, if this was wearing the guys down and, and, and weighing on them. And, and he he, he kind of just said yes. And, you know, it, it just brutal. And I just feel totally bad for for Silas and, and, and just the Rockets because just devastated by injuries and now getting the guys back. They're trying to find their groove and, and it's just hard to do. I mean, what's crazy about this game is that Forget about the lineup that they were going against, which was like all rookies, basically. But the Rockets shot 49.5% from the field in this game. Like They had a good game. They had the same number of assists, same number of turnovers, of steals, of defensive rebounds. But a big difference was the Thunder had 19 offensive rebounds at Houston's 8. They just, they just kind of beat them through attrition, basically. Yeah, I mean, well, 23 second chance points to 6. Like there's just not much you're going to be able to do. And we got to talk about this real quick. We got to talk about Lou Dort's practically game saving block on John Wall. It looks like Wall beat him and was getting to the lane for a layup. And he comes from behind and just totally rejects it. It, it, It's an amazing play. And, you know, uh, just what can you say about Lou Dort? He's, He's been phenomenal. We've seen him play great defensively, and he's just having a great season for the Thunder. And, and this Thunder team is young and, and, and fun, and, and they're frisky, man. They'll they'll snatch a few wins if you're not careful. Speaking of a team that snatched a win or two this year, the Nets, they beat the Wizards 113-106. to 106. I, I love watching these matchups with Harden and Kyrie versus Russ and Brad Beal. You know, Beal didn't even have a good game, but Russ, of course, 29 points, 13 boards, 13 assists, 10 for 20 shooting. He's just been phenomenal, though he did have eight turnovers. Kyrie, 28 points in this game, only six dimes, but the dimes at the end of this game were beautiful. Him just hitting Nick Claxton on the roll over and over again. Claxton had 16 points in this game. Yeah, you totally buried the lead, though, Jared. You 100% buried the lead. I can't believe you did this. Blake Griffin can dunk, guys. (laughs) <laughs> send out the bleacher report and athletic athlete Blake Griffin dunked the ball I, you know what people I got a bunch of texts about that did you not watch Blake Griffin before he left Detroit it is news that he dunked the ball that is news well I mean no it, 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 it he looked better looked fluid and, and moved well this was his first game as a net you know and and 
had some good moments, some hockey assists and things like that. I, I know everybody's going to get very carried away with it off of just one game and, and 15 minutes of action. But, you know, it, it was nice to see him actually get to the rim and and, and get a dunk and, and all that stuff. But man, the Nets are just tough. I mean, what else are we going to say? I mean, without Kevin Durant, they're still a really tough team to beat. You have Harden with 26 and Kyrie with 28, you know, and, and you touched on Claxton, who's just been phenomenal for them, you know, as as a big man. And I think, you know, he, what he brings is is exciting. And some of the stuff that, you know, makes up for them trading Jared Allen, you know, I think it, he kind of fills that void for them in a big way. I think that was pretty awesome for for the Nets. And, and when we look at the Wizards, I mean, at this point with the Wizards, it's almost like, hey, they're just playing spoiler for somebody this season. That's true. You know, shout out to our Nets writer, Alex Schiffer, who also had an interesting story about uh, the Spencer Dinwiddie trade market today. It's worth a read. But I remember him, I think he was coming on this show before the Jared Allen deal, talking about how the team was excited about what Nick Claxton was showing in limited minutes. And, you know, I, I'd seen a little bit of Claxton and figured, he, you know, he's, he's showing some flashes. He might be usable for them a little bit. But he's... Honestly, he's making he might beat out DeAndre Jordan for that center spot at some point this year well, if he keeps playing this way. I think he's been better than him, honestly. Well, the big thing that he does better than DeAndre Jordan is his ability to switch on to guards. Like he's actually done a phenomenal job in their all switching scheme, switching on to smaller players and, and, and holding his own, you know, and I think that's a big reason. And, you know, he is definitely I mean, he's getting the bulk of the minutes at center position that over DeAndre did. DJ played 17 minutes and Claxton got 26 in this one. You know, I think it's just, that's just the way it's going to go. And, and his ability to be a rim protector and things like that, I think goes a long way for this team. And he can dunk, which is all that really matters these days. And that's going to do it for today's show. Thank you as always for listening. Don't forget about all of our other podcasts here on the athletic podcast network. We have no dunks. We have House of Strauss. We have the Athletic NBA show. You can find uh, Nerder She Wrote. I almost said Murder She Wrote, but it's also Nerder She Wrote, really. And that's where you can find Mo talking when he's not talking to me here on the day. Uh, don't forget to subscribe to The Athletic at theathletic.com slash ding. And don't forget, Mo, to say the thing that we say at the end of every one of the shows. Ding, ding. <laughs>